Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. Good morning. Everybody doing well? Great. We're going to read together from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, ESV, which is English Standard Version. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read aloud together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It's going to appear on the screen. Let's read together. And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Great. Please be seated. Thank you for reading with me. In the New Testament, Matthew expresses God's heart for people and places. He loves people. He loves places. He loves this city. He loves the cities of our nation, the cities of the world. He loves the people of the city. He loves the people of the world. And whenever he comes, he's moved with compassion when he sees us. And there's an opportunity for us to respond. Oftentimes, the response is to receive him. Sometimes, the response is to to reject him. And we see that where we read it in the scripture. I love this city. It's the place of my birth, Washington, D.C., native Washingtonian. I've lived in the D.C. area, mostly D.C. proper, uh, throughout my life. And most of us here have lived in places in D.C., beyond D.C. Wherever you live, wherever you have lived, that community is a community God cares about, people he cares about deeply. And I want us to look at something this morning where we zoom in and see his heart, and hopefully he captures our heart, and then we begin to express Uh, the same heart that he has for people and for places. The passage we just read says that Jesus would travel to cities. It was his practice to go from one place to another place. Uh, It was amazing to be in Israel just a few weeks ago, to be in the very place where Jesus himself stood physically, to walk in those same places, to see the people, and to... Imagine uh, what that moment was like as we would read from the Bible the things that took place um, historically. And then thinking about what God wants to do here in Washington, D.C. and beyond, where we get to participate with him, um, how he changes our lives. And then after changing our lives, the gratitude we have toward him, it becomes authentic, it's genuine, it's not, um, it's not artificial, it's real. And then the way we relate to people also becomes real. It becomes authentic because we know we live in places and, and encounter people who need to see authenticity, uh, to need to interact with people who don't just quote scriptures from the Bible, but literally people who are conscious of their own weakness and depend on God for strength people who've moved from the place of saying, I got this, I can do it, 
to realizing that Jesus himself said these words, by myself I can do nothing. If Jesus says, by myself I can do nothing, then let me tell you, Donnell Jones is right there saying, by myself I can do nothing. So I don't embrace the cultural norm of, I got this. I don't. Unless he gives me breath, I just had my last one. Unless he wakes me up, it's over. So I don't have control over things which sometimes there's almost an assumption, I got this. We're assuming what we're going to do this afternoon. We're assuming what we're going to do tomorrow. We're assuming what we're going to do next week. We're assuming what we're going to do a year from now. Dream. But remember what the word says. If God wills, then we will do this. We will do that. Living with the posture of humility, um, not a posture of arrogance. He resists pride. He resists arrogance, but he actually gives grace. Means he, he favors the humble. He actually rests on the humble. And the degree of humility I have is not as much as I'm going to have, but most of the humility I have came as a result of being arrogant, experiences resistance, and being broken. My humility wasn't a choice. It was the consequences <laughs> of making bad choices. Um, so we read this passage, and what I love is that he literally goes to places. Like we think of heaven as this distant place, but God himself comes, and he loves to be with people. And there's no person he doesn't care uh, not to be around. Like the person who you'd rather not spend time with, he would spend time with them. The person you wouldn't have over for dinner, he'd actually go to their house for dinner. Like that's who he is. Because he starts where the person is and then brings them to himself. Not just proximity in terms of uh, uh, closeness in terms of space, but closeness in terms of sharing his heart, his mind. And as we grow, we get more of his heart, more of his mind. And the more of his heart and the more of his mind we get, the less problems we have with people. Because the more we become aware of our own humanity, its depravity, and the need for God. Right? Uh, marriage is a great teacher for that. In marriage, you get so close to somebody and you become so familiar with the way they are. And they become so familiar with the way you are. And the point of struggle is navigating your differences, which, as I always say, was never intended to be a source of conflict, but a source of compliment. But it requires humility to be complimentary. It's work. I thank God for you single people. I know you want to be married. It's work. It's not Disney. It's real. And oftentimes when married people are struggling, they don't think they can talk to anybody about it because our society um, celebrates mask wearing, masquerading. I love that Jesus doesn't wear a mask. You get them real, you get them raw, he tells you the truth, and he tells you the truth while loving you. So, why this passage? Because I want you to see his heart. He's going throughout, it says, all the cities. So in Israel, when we were there a few weeks ago, 14 couples, most of us pastors, all of us friends, 20, 30 years, pastoring churches throughout the nation. 
invited by Pastor Brett and Cynthia Fuller, who lead Grace Covenant Church in Chantilly. It was amazing. We saw that the Sea of Galilee was really the central area where so much of the history of what we read, particularly in the New Testament, happened right around Galilee. All the cities along the, the west and east of that sea and the fishing and the commerce that happened there. It was quite amazing. I'm going to show you some images in a little bit. We'll read a passage before we get to it. But literally, every city he went to, he could just get on the boat. And as my friend said, Sea of Galilee was his 495, his 66, his I-70, wherever you're from or wherever you live. He would crisscross Galilee, going from one city to another city, from one village to another village. And every village he went into, he'd go in the marketplace where people were doing business, buying and selling. He'd go into the places of worship, Jewish synagogues. And every place where people accepted him, there was an expression not only of his heart, but also his presence and his power. He heals the sick. He not only did it, he still does it. He delivered people from demonic oppression. Um, he is the great physician. That's what the Bible says. He's a great counselor. Like no one meets Jesus and accepts him and leaves his presence unaltered. It's amazing. But he doesn't want to just visit with you. He actually wants to do life with you, live with us, and then take us to this community, including the community in which we've just moved now in the last month, and serve this community. Like, like this church should be here to serve, not just one another, but to serve this community. Who lives across the street? Who lives down there? Who's, who's in these apartment buildings? What about this shelter around the corner for women? Have we been there yet? Have we knocked on the door? Have we figured out what the needs are? We need, to, we need to pray and say, God, what is the intersection between the strengths you've given us as a people in this church and the needs in this community and where they meet and your power's there? Change happens. Yeah, I'd love to be a part of the church that 20 years from now, some kid says, man, I'm so glad Grace Covenant was here. Wow. We used to go to movie nights on Friday free, popcorn. I didn't have to go downtown to Chinatown to Regal Cinema where we used to meet, I could just walk into church and they let us eat popcorn in there. Show the free movie. We put it, we got a screen big enough. Let's just invite the community and show free movies on Sunday afternoon, matinees, no charge. Let's do, let's, let's get buildings around here and open up learning centers and tutorial programs. Let's just go shake hands and dap up the dude on the corner and say, yo, what's up? Then when he says back up, just say, okay. But he'll think about the fact and then just give him, give him something. Who knows? Put something in his hand. Love on him. Insecurity will make him say back up. But when you love on someone and they begin to see it's genuine, they start to open up. They look at you sideways for about six months. <laughs> then they look at your wife. Then they look at your kids. They listen to how you talk. They look at you when you're not on Sunday. They see how you do Fridays at 2 a.m. The first time they hear you say, I'm sorry. And you acknowledge you're not perfect. Because being a Christian is not being perfect. It's being with the one who is perfect. And who accepts you as you are. But doesn't leave you that way. And who begins to change your life. And we're all works in progress. And realizing that getting into heaven isn't about doing the right thing. It's being with the right one. We don't have the capacity to live right. Everything in us is bent away from God. And religion sometimes is our best effort 
to say we're worthy. And he says, if you were worthy, I wouldn't have had to die on a cross. So keep your religion and accept a relationship with me. And let me train you how to live the way I live. Isn't that good? So we're all on this journey together. But here's what I love. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That word compassion for the Jew literally has a sense of, the sense of empathy. And for them, the seat of empathy was the intestinal organs. It's like, it's when you feel something down on the inside. So when he was moved with compassion, visually he would see people, but down on the inward parts is where he would be moved. So I see him coming into this town or this city or D.C. or Baltimore or wherever you grew up, Herndon, Virginia, wherever you're from, yell out your city. I hear you. Okay. He's been to your city. He's in your city right now. See, he was moved with compassion, and here's why. He says, because people were what? Harassed and helpless. Harassed, helpless, thrown down, oppressed, beat down. Doesn't mean they weren't wealthy. Doesn't mean they didn't have a job. But you can, you can have everything and be restless. You, you can have it all and, be, and feel like, ugh, I can't even enjoy it. I'm married, but I'm missing something. Finally got the job I wanted. I got the degree. I got the money, but something's missing. You know, rest is something that God gives. It's not just a vacation. He said, all who are weary, come to me. I'll give you rest. So rest has to be something you receive. It's not something you achieve. So you can work hard and retire and still not achieve rest. Some of the most hardest working people are restless. So he was concerned for people in their condition. And he would preach the gospel. He would heal people of every kind of disease and every affliction. There's no disease, no affliction that he does not heal. So this is really great. Now I want to zoom in. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And you'll see the same pattern of him going from place to place. And I mention this because he's in this place. He's in this city. He always goes to places. He goes to people. He goes to their places of worship. He goes to the marketplace. He hangs out where people are and he engages with them. In Luke 8, 1 through 3, this is ESV, it says, Soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Okay, let's look at this. He's going to a city. The 12 are with him. He doesn't mention their names because they're mentioned before, but the 12 refers to the 12 disciples. Peter, James, John, Judas. There's a 12 of them. But he doesn't, he doesn't just mention them. Some, some of the people who were with him as disciples also in, were inclusive of Mary, called the Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Susanna, these women were also with him, and they were providing for the ministry out of the means. Jesus never asked for uh, resources, but the people who were his disciples who were with him were actually providing for all the ministry that needed to take place. And there were men and women who were supporting this ministry over the three-year period so that he no longer had to practice uh, the work of a carpenter, which was his skill set, which would have been a, an excellent trade to have and still is today. You find a good carpenter, 
That's a good work. So you have, and I still, I still hold fast that his best would work wasn't the hammer in his hands, but the nails in his hands on the cross. That's the best woodwork he ever did. Allowing himself to be nailed to two beams of wood that weighed 250 some pounds that he had to carry after being beaten nearly to the point of death. And under that stress, that pressure, that violence, your body seizing up, he has the capacity to love and to forgive. Most of us, the pressure of someone cutting us off in traffic doesn't bring love out of us. It brings something else out. So let's, let's agree with him that he wants to step our game up so that under pressure, whatever's in us comes out, but more of what's coming out of us looks like him and less like us. So I want to highlight one of the people with him, Mary called the Magdalene. She's amazing. Women, you're amazing. In a culture that doesn't honor women properly, I want to say you're amazing. You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus honored women. He celebrated them. Some of his closest, most loyal, faithful, committed people were these women. Mary Magdalene is mentioned 14 times in the, in the New Testament. Of those 14 times, eight of those times, she's, she heads the list of a group of women. Um, she is one of the last to see him dying on the cross and the first to see him risen from the dead. The first person to preach the gospel that Jesus has resurrected wasn't Peter, James, or John. It was Mary Magdalene. The first proclamation that Jesus is alive came from a woman. We need to know that. We need to know that. In a society that doesn't value equality, that compensates men more for the same work, Jesus doesn't think that way. That's our culture. That's not his. So the more we follow him, the more our culture changes when we align with him. So this Mary, where did he meet her? Why is her name called Magdalene? So I want to show you this picture, a few pictures. This sign says Magdala. I took this on my iPhone a few weeks ago in Israel. That sign was not there 2,000 years ago. That's current day. But Magda, uh, Magdala is one of the places he visited. If you remember in the Bible when he feeds 4,000 men besides women and children, so that could be upwards of 10,000 people, it says he left that place, got in the boat, and he went across the sea to the west side. He ended up here, Magdala. Magdala, Magdala is south of Capernaum. So Nazareth was his hometown over here. Well, from your view, if this is the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth is here, and then you go up, you hit Magdala, right above that is Capernaum. You go around top of the sea, on the other side, there's Bethsaida. He went to all these places. Um, Nazareth, his own, own town, he was rejected because when you grow up and people become so familiar with you, they can only see you through their eyes, they can't see you through God's eyes. And they couldn't see through God's eyes that Jesus was God. So they rejected him. As a result, the people who could have been healed, could have been set free, their lives were largely unchanged because they rejected him. In fact, they drove him out of the place of worship. They drove him to the hill on which the city was built, and they tried to push him over because they were offended by him. At first, they loved him, but when he said, I'm the Lord, they're like, no, you're not. You're, you're not the son of God. So he ends up going to Capernaum, does miracles there, but he goes to Magdala. So you see the first picture where there's a sign. The next picture, take a look at that one. 
This is an ancient synagogue. Those are the original stones from the time of Jesus, first century, that would have been there. And these are the remains. There's a little chain there, but I stood there with some of our leaders and just was silent. You know, and you try, like Jesus stood here because our guide, who is an archaeologist, fluent in Hebrew, a Jewish man, knows the Old Testament, New Testament, Torah, the Quran. We'd, we would study all these things. I showed you some images last week. This place right here is the synagogue in, um, in this place. And Jesus literally walked across that threshold, which would have been two feet wide. I stood there literally and thought, I'm going to step into the very place where Jesus himself walked. It's an awe-inspiring uh, kind of moment, like to think he was right here. Uh, the next image shows the inside, I think, of the synagogue. That table there was a table that the scroll would have been opened and he would have stood and read from the scroll like he did in Nazareth when he read from Isaiah and said, this uh, scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He would have shared similarly in the synagogue. And the synagogue was not only in that day a place of worship, it was like the community center. So everybody in, in this place would know everyone. It's small community. It's a fishing community. It's right on the, on the, uh, the west uh, sea bank of Galilee. The next one shows an image if you go to the next slide. So these are areas or pools of water where when fish were caught, you'd bring the fish in and sell them at the market. And so there was one place where the fish were held. There was another one that was sort of a salt water. They put salt in it because salt was used to preserve food before we had ice and refrigerators. It was salt was the preserving effect. That's why Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Why did he say that? Because he understood a culture that was familiar with salt and salt preserves and it also brings out the flavor. That's why we salt our food, to bring out the flavor. But salt without ice is what is used to preserve. So those who follow Christ, we're supposed to have the effect of preserving the community and bringing out the flavor in the community. That's what our life is supposed to be like. If you have salt in a salt bottle, it does no good. And sometimes Christians love Sunday morning, but if we just stay in the bottle, what good are we? Why is the salt even on the table? Jesus shakes you out and we get like, I don't want to go on a mission trip. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, like, the reason why he shakes the salt is because of not the salt, but because of what he's trying to affect. Yeah. And if you re refuse his shaking, you miss out. You miss out. You live your life, you get a job, you got nine to five, you got married, you got kids. But if you never get out of the bottle, you haven't lived yet. Right. People in our church have gone to South Africa on mission trips and they came back changed, right, Tara? Prayed for people. People got healed over there. She came back. And, she, and here's the thing. When you go on missions, missions affects you more than you affecting that place. Because as much as you touch people's lives, you're so touched, you come back like, why am I not doing this back home? You get so familiar with driving by the CVS, driving by whatever fast food place, or driving by, and it just all becomes a blur. You're on your way somewhere. And you live your life on your way instead of along the way. Yeah. So he comes to Magdala. And this is where we believe Mary is from. So let me explain. In the Bible, when people are referenced by name, every, there's more than one James. There's more than one Mary. There's more than one Jesus. That was, Jesus was a common name. 
Mary's a common name. James a common name. So how do I know which James we're talking about? There are people in this room, in a room this size, there are people who have the same name. Right? So how do you know the difference? So you associate them by their family or their birthplace. So when we're talking about Jesus' mother, it'll say Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have to say that because if you don't, you could be talking about Mary Magdalene or Mary who is married to Cleopas or Mary. From, so Mary Magdalene, she's from Magdala. And because of the impact that God had on her life, uh, it was pretty amazing that people begin to know which Mary you're talking about. Mary Magdalene. Even Jesus was called the Nazarene because there were other people with that same name who were not him. But if you said the Nazarene, you knew who he was referring to. Does that make sense? You're like, Mark, Mark who? Mark from Southeast? No, no, Mark, Mark up Northwest. Jerry's brother. Oh, that Mark. That's, all, that's why the Bible does that. It's not trying to be spiritual. It's like, we want you to know which one we're talking about. So she was from Magdala. And it says that she's the one who seven unclean spirits or demonic spirits came out of. Now, how did they come out of her? Well, we read earlier that Jesus went to all these towns, all these cities, healing every kind of sickness, every kind of disease, and he would drive out demons. Now, understand, true then, true today, physical ailments and physical illnesses do not always have their origin just in a physical situation. Sometimes it is brought on by spiritual things. So it can, it can show up in your life or give expression and you can treat it with medicine, and medicine is a good thing. The Bible even says that healing is in the roots of the trees. But the, re the reality is certain sicknesses and ailments are actually spiritual in nature. So one thing we practice in our culture is counseling, therapy. And that's good because there are things you need to talk out. Um, and then there are issues you can have with people in conflict, relational dysfunctions. There are things you need to walk out. But in life, there's not only things you need to talk out and things you need to walk out. There are times where there are things you need to drive out. And if you don't address things that you need to drive out, then all the talking and walking will never resolve it. And you'll be 20 years in thinking we still have the same issue because something other than just what is visible to the eye needs to be addressed. And Jesus would regularly drive demons out of people. Hollywood has made it look in such a way that it's not that way in the Bible. Jesus would literally just speak a word to somebody and say, leave him. And the person would exhale and all of a sudden feel like a ton of bricks just fell off of them. And they're like, what just happened? Well, you've been carrying a spirit of fear for 20 years. And that's why you always shrink back in every situation. But I just delivered you from that unclean spirit. Now you can go free. How many have ever been intimidated or tormented by fear? The Bible calls fear a spirit. It doesn't call it an emotion. It affects you emotionally, but at its core, if you only address it emotionally, it's still going to be present. Sometimes fear can possess you. Sometimes it can oppress you. But fear doesn't come from God. That's why Paul said God has not given us a spirit of fear. So for fear to leave your life, you got to pray and ask God, deliver me from its influence. Yeah. That's just one spirit. She had seven. I don't know what she looked like, but she was in a lot of t 
turmoil, lacked peace, all kinds of health issues, some of it maybe physical, some of it emotional, some of it mental. I don't know, I, it, the Bible is unclear, but I just know this, if one spirit can do that much harm, I know with seven, you're going through life burdened every day of your life. And he comes to Magdala, and whether he saw at the synagogue, in the marketplace, it doesn't say, but he encountered Mary, and he looked her in her eyes, and she felt compassion from him. And he spoke to her, and because of the authority he has, and because demons are subject to him and also afraid of him, which is why he'd go into synagogue and people would yell, why have you come, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to torment us before the time? And he'd say, be quiet. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't yell. He said, he said stop talking. Leave her alone. And his, see, authority is not volume. Authority is not volume. Sometimes because of insecurity, people who lead by position rather than influence use volume, but that's not authority. And God uses his authority not to tear down, but to build up. Which is why he told his disciples, don't use your authority like the world uses their authority, to oppress and put people down. I use my authority to set people free to build them up. So he was setting this woman free and building her up by delivering her from not one, not two, not three, but seven unclean spirits. She knew she was free. She lived her, whoever knows how long of her life being bound. When she was free in that moment, she's like, who are you? He told her who she was. She's like, I'm with you. And from that day on, she traveled with Jesus to all those cities and all those places. I mean, if someone said that kind of free in your life, like, I don't need none of this. And she had the means to go with him because she actually supported him financially. So she must have been in some kind of business or wealth, and she didn't have whatever kinds of responsibilities to tie her down. It didn't say marry the wife of or marry the mother of. So she may have been single. We don't know. But whatever it was, she was free enough to travel keep her business, have her resources, and support the ministry. And this woman who got free started helping other people get free. Yeah. See, that's the thing about Jesus. He never called us to be someone who's just a recipient who benefits from what he gives to us. When you receive freely, now you have re the power and the posture to give freely what you've received. So she's traveling to all these places helping people get free. And I'm going to bring her back up on Easter, Resurrection Sunday when we get there because she's one of the last people at the cross when he's dying and the first person at the tomb when he appears. She was so committed to him, not just with her finances, with her life, that her time, her finances, and talent all followed the commitment of her heart. No one had to ask her to give. She, was all, she gave herself to Jesus and said, I'm with you. So that even when he was on the cross, which is when sometimes you find out who your friends are, right. we're in a bad spot. Hey, man, I'm hurt. My bad. Sorry, man. You know, I can't help you. <laughs> I got you out of debt. I know. Right. But hey, it happens. You've, you've had those friends or maybe you've been that friend. More responses on the first than the second. Call your friends and ask them what they think. Don't, don't, don't leave it up to self-evaluation. 
Mary. This woman got so free. She, got, she went around helping others get free. Okay, that's 2,000 years ago, guys. What about two days ago, right here? I met a man who lives in this community. He's our neighbor. He lives right across the street. And if you're standing, when you go out the building today, right across the street, some houses, and then you cut right, there's the back of a church, and then right over there is a three-story apartment building. It's got about 30 units. Our team was going for a prayer walk several weeks ago before we moved in. There was a gentleman who walked up to them as they were starting, and uh, he was somewhat assertive, um, concerned about the church that was moving to this community. I wasn't there. I just heard about it. And um, then this week, we were having a staff meeting, and a gentleman came into the building as we were about to start, and he said, um, he was talking to some of our staff, and uh, I was greeting someone else, and it was like, let's start staff meeting. So I was, because we have full-time staff in our church. I don't have a side job. That's not true. I don't have, <laughs> this is my full-time calling. I serve in more places than I probably need to. I'm leaving to go be with University of Maryland basketball. Game just started, so I got to go catch up with the team. That's one of the places I serve, the coaches and players. Because um, I've always loved working with young men. So he walked in our building, and I walked over to him, and I said, hey, uh, we're about to start a staff meeting. And he was somewhat assertive. He said, yeah, but you're gonna, I'm going to tell you my story first. And, uh, you know, I had a little... <laughs> I had a little moxie in his words, like, after you hear my story. I was like, well, I'd love to hear your story, but I'd, I'd like to get your name and number and call you. Maybe you can go to dinner, but right now we're starting staff meeting. And he said, I live right here. Show me where you live. So we walked toward the door. We walked outside. So now he's outside, and he showed me where he lived. So I got his name, got his number, and we talked. And I went back, sat down in staff meeting, and because we exchanged numbers, he texted me while we were in staff meeting. He said, I apologize for being so assertive. I was grateful that he was, had a sufficient emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Grow in your emotional intelligence. Yeah. Learn how you're coming off at people. Don't assume the way you think you're coming off is the way people hear you. Yeah. Grow in your emotional intelligence. Proverbs 15:1. it's a play you need to put into practice. It says, a soft or gentle reply turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Most of the conflict that escalates in your life is because you don't practice Proverbs 15, 1. Yeah. You could nip it with just a gentle reply. Someone can't just escalate without you escalating with them. They, la, 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 la. You know what? Is there something I said or did? And, and your flesh is not going to ever do that. Your flesh is going to look sideways. <laughs> Depending on where you grew up, if you grew up in my neighborhood... You've already, you've already processed the next three moves. You, you, know, you, know what, you know where this is about to go, if it's going to get physical, right? Um, or if it's going to get loud. But I just tried to use a gentle response. So I was glad he texted. 
Well, we went out to dinner the next night. He told me a story. I was almost in tears. And, and I'm not saying that lightly. Like, his story is amazing. And I'm not going to tell. He was in the first service. And he stood up, and I introduced him to the church. So he's one of the newest people from the community in our church. Yeah. At dinner, at dinner, he committed his life to Jesus as Lord. And he said, can you help me with being so assertive? I'm like, we can work on it, but I mean, that's not the biggest issue. As you follow Christ, he works that stuff out. Sometimes we put so many rules on people. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. Jesus didn't come down saying what you can't do. The first command in Genesis was not don't eat from the tree. The first command is you are free. Let's stop telling people they can't do stuff. Start. The goal is to be free. When you see a master pianist, they're free. Their fingers can do what mine can't because they've attained a level of freedom. When you see a great gymnast, they have so trained and disciplined their body that they're now free. When I go watch these guys play basketball and I know what someone's going to do on the court, they're free. God wants to so train you that you live free. There are things you wish you could do you can't do because you're not free. And freedom comes at a price. Freedom is not just doing what you want. You should be an NBA player like bad as I want to be. No, six fouls, NBA, you're out. You can be as bad at freedom of choice, but you don't have freedom of consequences. That's true in life. Start teaching your kids that now. Teach them where the boundaries in life are. I'm mad that life has lines. No, every sport has lines. And nobody complains. No athlete who's, it, who's really balling is mad about the lines. So why are we mad about the lines that God has for us? That's where you should be doing your best work. Man, why well, can I only be with one man or one woman? That's where you get to do your best work. If you're working good, you should be tired. You shouldn't want anybody else. Take that however you want it. You should be tired. I got five kids. I'm tired. I'm tired. Tired. I don't know why Brandon and Vanessa are laughing. They got four. I know they're tired. Brandon, you tired? He's exhausted. Young man, exhausted. Christian, hey, they got three boys. You tired? Tired. Ain't nobody up here want another man or want another woman. We tired. People come to me, how come David could have a, a, all these wives? Dude, why are you even asking that question? You can't handle the one you got. You don't know how to treat her. What you going to do with another one? And God didn't, God didn't tell them to have multiple wives. That was man's idea. Go back to Genesis. Lamech had two wives. That's when it all started. If God wanted man to have two wives, then he would have made three human beings, not two. Sorry. None of this is in the notes. I got to go. Brandon, you're going to have to end this thing. He committed his life to Jesus as Lord at dinner. 
He works a midnight shift until 4 p.m. today. So he started working at midnight, came to the 9 a.m. for his lunch break, and then went back to work. 60 Minutes is airing his story this May, April or May. So I'm not going to tell you the story, but I know why 60 Minutes is airing it. He's one of the newest members to our church. You don't have to go to Magdala. You can come to D.C. Have you met your Mary? Have you met your Raymond? Have you met your Ronell? Have you met your Gabriella? Have you met your, your David? When you walk out here, will you walk straight to your car? Will you slow down and look at the buildings and wonder who's over there and just pray for them? But I don't see anybody. You know someone lives in that house. Just pray. God, I don't know who lives there. They may know you. They may not. But now that we're here, I'm praying for them. I'm going to pray for them this week. I hope I get to meet them. Pray for people before you go talk to them so you don't come off arrogant. Love y'all. Love y'all. Love this church. Let's take a cue from Mary. Let them get stuff out of our life. Let us be so free. We love him with everything. And then let's go with him every place he goes and help everybody else get free. Because there's some people in this neighborhood and there's some people in Southeast, some people in Northeast, some people in Northwest. We got to plant churches all over because a lot of people need to be free. And there might be somebody here this morning who said, I'm here. Before we go to the neighborhood, can you start with me? I need to be free. So I want to pray for you all. I thank you for the man or woman in this place, Lord, who needs to be free. Who is hearing not my voice, but really yours, and realize today is the day I get to go free. And you don't have to stand up or come forward, but if you're here and you're saying, I need to go free. I want, there are things I've tried to talk out, walk out, but the reality is I need God to drive some things out of my life so that he can live in me and be my Lord. I don't want to just be familiar with him. I want to be in his family. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovedc.org.